Be seated. We're going to be looking at the passage from Hebrews uh, 13, first eight verses, because I thought eight was a good number. That's where I stopped. So Hebrews 13, 1 to 8, living my best life. A few years ago, uh, I hate to use his name, but I got to, Snoop Dogg. He uh, came out with a song, Living My Best Life, and one of the stanzas, and this is the PG version, by the way, don't worry, I crossed out a whole lot of words that are, I didn't know what they were. So I'm smiling because I always get my win on. I've been on so many different stages, graced the cover of a hundred magazine pages, I'm living my best life. And oftentimes, like Snoop D.O. Double G, we equate our best life with good times and good things. We feel that that is when our life is flourishing, when everything is great, according to our standard. And a lot of times it depends on our perspective, and most of the time it really boils down to how we look at the life we are living Many, many years ago, a Jewish man in rural, rural, that's a hard word for me to say, in the countryside of Europe, went to his rabbi, and he said, Rabbi, my life is unbearable. There are nine of us living in one small room. What can I do, Rabbi? So the rabbi said, hmm, take your goat and bring him inside your room. The guy was shocked. He was skeptical. He was like, I can't believe you're telling me to do this. But being a good Jewish boy, he obeyed his rabbi. And the rabbi said, do that and come back in one week. He brings his goat inside. He comes back to the rabbi after one week. And the rabbi said, so how are things now? The man says, it's horrible. The goat stinks. He chews on everything. I can't stand it. What do you want me to do now? It's worse. The rabbi says, okay. Take the goat out of your house and come back and see me in one week. Seven days pass. The man comes to his rabbi and the rabbi says, so how are things now? Rabbi, life is wonderful. There are only nine of us in one room, and we enjoy each other's company every moment of the day. It was exactly the same situation as before the goat, but he saw things differently. Perspective. And often that's the matter of our life is how we see things. Immanuel Kant, Kant said, give a man everything he wants everything he wants. And at that moment, everything will not be everything. Because have you ever noticed when you get that thing you want, you want something else? It's perspective. So what is the perspective that will lead us to living our best life, better than Snoop Dogg? And that is incarnational. 
We are surrounded by images that speak of this to us, that our lives are meant to be incarnational, that our living makes God's presence the reality of our lives. We are surrounded by two icons. They're not just artwork. They remind us Jesus came in the flesh. When we hear the scriptures being read, that's God's word in our ears. When the gospel is processed amongst the people, it's Jesus among us. I remember one time we were at Southport, and we went to an, don't, don't, don't tell my root to Episcopal Church, because that was the only one there, and it was old. I thought, hey, let me check out an old Episcopal Church, and it was, you know, a, a lot of white hair. I blended in very well, but when the gospel was processed to the congregation, nobody, you know, they were just doing their normal thing, and at that moment, I felt so strong Jesus Whisper to my spirit, I am here. And this is our life. Are we making Christ the reality? Hebrews chapter 13 tells us how we can live in this incarnational reality. And the life looks a lot like the letter U. Well, what do you mean by that? It's like Sesame Street. This sermon is brought to you by the letter U. Everybody know what a letter U is, right? Up, down, up again. That's Jesus' life. He lived, he died, he rose again. And that's the pattern we go through. And oftentimes when we're in the bottom of that incarnational life in the letter U, we feel like something's wrong. But it's not. We're going through it to get back up. And guess what? You'll probably go back down some more and come back up. How can we live in that incarnational perspective? Well, the first part of Hebrews, the first uh, ten chapters, the writer makes pretty much one specific point. Jesus is it, and he's better than anything else. That's really the summary of the first ten chapters. Now, when we get to chapter 13, the last chapter, it's time now, how does that play out in our life? How are we going to live incarnationally? Well, first of all, the first few verses that we read tell us that our lives must be other-focused. And the writer gives us four specific others. Some we probably find easy to love and others probably not so easy to love. But that's not the point. The point is to love. Our lives must be other-focused in the verse, verse 1. He says, let brotherly love continue. So what's the first group he singles out? Look around. It's us. The church. Because if we can't love each other, how will the world believe God's love is real? If we can't love each other, how will the world believe God's love is real? And I know, I, I, I can see you and you can see me. We're not always easy to love. We're still stubborn. We still fight selfishness. And some of us are downright, as an old southern word, cantankerous. But the writer says, let. Brotherly love. Let. Because you see, love is always a verb, an action to be taken. Let it continue. You have a choice. I'm not, and he's not talking about this 
kind of uh, reality show, bachelorette, goosebump, googly God, he gave me a rose, good feeling. But it's talking about a real commitment to each other. Because in the early church, you know what impressed the pagan world about the early church? I would have thought it would have been cathedrals. They didn't care. They didn't have them yet. They're really well thought out theology. That was still developing churches. The fact that they had everything together. No, you read the New Testament. There was still a lot of mess going on. But what impressed them? What impressed the pagan world about these early Christians? The way they loved each other. And for us in our, our world, our day and age, it's going to take a real commitment to each other to show the world the love of Christ. That's why he says, let brotherly love continue. Secondly, the second group he singles out, do, do not neglect to show hospitality to the people you like. Is that what the writer said? Well, why not? No, he says strangers. Showing hospitality to strangers because God sends people into our lives who need us, and just like the writer here says, we may need them. They may be an angel that we don't even realize. And the word angel translated really is messenger. God may have a message from somebody as we entertain them and bless them. We may not know them that great, but they may have something amazing for us. Will Rogers said it best. Strangers are just friends I haven't met yet. That's a good way to look at it. I want to share with you a time that I was pretty much overwhelmed by the hospitality of strangers. Our first child, uh, Nadine, who graduated college, hooray, uh, was about one year old. And a friend of ours took us for my birthday, we were still in London at the time, took us to a caravan park in Wales. For those of you that don't know what a caravan park is, it's a lot more fun than it sounds. It's just like a little camper by the seaside. So they took us out there, and as I always do on vacation, I scout out the nearest golf course. I played the local one. I went to the next town. It had a golf course, and every town after that had a golf course. I thought, this has to be paradise. But I was in the next town one day, and I'm, I'm getting ready to tee off by myself, and these two guys approached me and said, hey, are you, are you a single? I, I, I'm married, but yeah. I'm playing golf as a single. Well, you want to join us? I said, well, why not? They were, they were Irish on holiday in Wales. I'm like, well, you're in Ireland. Why do you come to Wales for a holiday? I would go to Ireland for a holiday, and you live there. But nevertheless. So we tee off, and right before we, we get going down the, the, the fairway, they turn around and said, are we still playing uh, two pounds a nine? I said, okay, whatever you're saying, I'm going with it. So we, we trundle through the course, and we end up, and we start calculating the scores, and they said, well, the bloody gank won me. So I won, and they proceeded each to hand me four pounds. I didn't realize we were gambling the whole time I was out there. <laughs> so I, first of all, I repented for receiving money from gambling, and I stuck it in my pocket and said, thank you very much. 
But as we were, <laughs> after that, they said, they, you know, being good Irish lads, they asked, well, what are you doing for lunch? I, I don't know, what are you doing? Well, we want to take you out to lunch because you won. I said, okay. So they took us out, they took me to the lunch, to the little grill there at the, the golf club. And, uh, and, and of course, being Irish, it included that great Irish mineral water that comes out dark <laughs> and has a nice foam on top and it's just, uh, silk in a glass. And that was all over, and one of the other guys walked off, and I was like, okay, he's probably going to the restroom. He comes back. He bought me a souvenir to celebrate my victory on, on the course. Hospitality. I don't remember their names. I don't even remember their faces. But I remember their hospitality. I remember their hospitality. It blessed me, and I'm telling you what, they were excited to do all that for me. It was like their joy. It was like their privilege to buy me lunch. Hospitality. And I know, don't, don't neglect being a blessing out of fear. I know it's hard. Believe it or not, I'm a very socially awkward person. I'm big, I'm clumsy, I look mad all the time. People don't, want to, people don't want to talk to me. And I don't really want to talk to them either. <laughs> I have to struggle. I, I fight to be uh, extrovert. I had to think of the word there. It's above my pay grade. But don't be afraid to try. Just try to find some connection with something. Oh, man, man, I like your shoes. Where'd you get those? That's what I started doing, trying to find some connection. And I found out, I found out real quick, when you hit somebody's passion, they're going to talk your ear off. And they're going to be your best friend after that. As Paul said, I become all things to all men, that I might win one. Hospitality. Strangers, the church, the third group. Oh, no, this is the way, it's where it gets a little sticky, guys. Verse 3, remember those who are imprisoned as you, as though imprisoned with them. In other words, remember those in prison because that could easily be you. Now, I don't know, uh, I've never really felt the burning call of the Lord to visit the jail. I haven't. But as I was thinking about this this, this week, there's a whole lot of other prisons other than the jailhouse. You may not have that desire to go to the jailhouse, but I, I would almost bet my bottom dollar. There I go gambling again. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, would, I would wager if I was that kind of man that you probably know somebody in the prison of addiction. And it don't have to be illegal substances. It could be legal. Loneliness. Regret. Depression. A debilitating sickness. Those are equally prisons. Locks people up in their, in, inside their house. No drive, no desire to do anything, and they feel like the world is at an end. And remember, that could be you. 
but for the grace of God, there go I. Maybe they did it to themselves. Maybe they are getting what they deserve. But that's not the point. Because none of us who believe in the Lord get what we deserve. Remember those that are bound by different things. Love them. You want to change them? Love them. Don't pinpoint out their faults. They already know, and they're embarrassed by it. Just love them. Treat them with respect. Make them feel welcome. The last one that we are to love and focus on, verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, your spouse. Why is that so important? Because our homes, the Christian home, is the pillar of society. That's what God put on the earth first. He didn't put the church first. He put husband and wife first. And it's the foundation of our church because every Christian home is a little church. It's an icon of Christ and his kingdom. Our marriages are witnesses to the world of Christ and his church. Honor your spouse. And there's only one way to successfully do it. And Jesus shows us the way. Your spouse is more important than you are. Glad you guys don't have stones because I sure would feel a couple of them hitting you right now. But the only way we can live a successful Christian marriage is to realize the spouse is more important than we are. And I really struggle with this next thing I'm about to say because I'm actually quoting Brian Adams. I mean, I struggle with that. I mean, I looked at Led Zeppelin. I looked at Leonard Skinner. I looked at, I said, come on, Pink Floyd, pull through for me today. They refused. I got stuck with Brian Adams. And even, you know, the Kevin Costner Robin Hood movie. I know. But that song summarizes how we honor our spouse. Everything I do, you know it, I do it for you. <laughs> Just look into my eyes and you will see. <laughs> That's enough. That's enough, Brian Adams. <laughs> enough, Brian Adams. But that's really what it is. There's no other way. And, and when that is mutually happening between both parties, persons, both sides will be fulfilled and satisfied. It is only when we begin to go, well, she's not meeting my needs. Well, that's not your problem. Your problem is, am I meeting the other needs, the other's needs? And I'm going to give you marriage counseling summed up into one word. It's a good thing you're sitting down so you can take it. The secret to a blessed marriage is contained in one word. Money. No, just kidding. <laughs> I had you on the edge of your seat. I can see it. No, really. Really, for real. This time for real. The secret to a blessed marriage <laughs> is one word, selflessness. I didn't say selfishness, selflessness. How can I say that?
Because we celebrate it every time at that table. The great husband of us all shows us the way. This is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. And that's the only way to do it. That's the only way we can honor our spouse. So if we want to live the incarnational life and live in our best life, then we have to be other-focused, those four groups. And secondly, the, the writer of Hebrews gives us another couple of things as we are wrapping up. Our lives must not be worldly-focused. In verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Content. That's the key word. It doesn't mean just I'm putting up with what's going on in my life right now. It's my cross to bear. But the word content really carries with it this idea that the Christian who is dependent on the spirit is independent of outward circumstances. The storm may be raging around me. Right here, it's good, real good. That's what Paul said. I've learned how to be rich, and I'm still waiting for the Lord to show me that. I've learned how to be poor. I've learned how to abound. I've learned how to be abased. I've learned how to be hungry. I've learned how to be full. I've learned how to be naked. I've learned how to be clothed. And everybody's favorite verse in Philippians chapter 4, I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. What is he saying? My circumstances don't affect him. It's Jesus. And that's where contentment comes from, to realize that Jesus is what we all need. A survey was done, and in our, in our modern age, on average, by the age of 20 years old, we will have heard or seen one million advertisements. And most of those advertisements, if not all of them, are there to say one thing. Your life is missing this product. You need this. And it's nothing new. There was an advertising agency in the Garden of Eden. It's called Serpents Are Us Advertising. <laughs> and what was he advertising? The forbidden fruit. And he was such a convincing advertising man, serpent, they took a bite. Because they thought they needed that. They didn't realize they already had God. How many times do we think we need this or that, a better job, a new environment, a better home, a better place? There's always some greener grass on the other side. But you get to the other side, you still need Jesus. You get a better job, you still need Jesus. You win the lottery, you still need Jesus, because when you see all the taxes you got to pay, you're going to faint. No matter what happens in our life, we still need the Lord. We still need him in us and working through us and working for us. Because things come, things go. New things get old. Our bodies even wear out. And 
Dear Lord, I've noticed it more and more. But that's why the writer says Jesus is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm going to tell you, when you're at the bottom part of that incarnational life shaped like a U, when you're down here wallowing through life, anybody ever wa had to wallow through life? I've been there, and I didn't buy the souvenir T-shirt because I didn't like it. But there's one thing that keeps us going, and that's the presence of Christ never leaving us. There was a very dark time in my first missionary assignment in uh, Finsbury Park, North London, right beside Arsenal football ground. Go Gunners. Everything was great the first six months. I thought this was cool, man. I went from Kernersville, Podunk, North Carolina, okay, to Finsbury Park, North London. The double-decker buses were amazing. I'm riding an underground. This train is under the ground. I'm using money with the queen's face on it. Everything was new and novel, and then the novelty wears off. And the darkness set in. And there was one thing that got me through that time. I would take my guitar, go down to the basement, and uh, it, it was worse than you imagine. The building was like 450 years old. The basement looked like it was about 900 years old. But it was the only place where I could get quiet and alone. And I would go down in that basement with my guitar. And there was only one song that ever came to me. It was one of my grandfather's favorite songs. I remember him singing it often with his guitar. <laughs> and it was that good old Southern Baptist hymn. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through that promised land, what a day, glorious day, that will be. You see, only Jesus can bring us through. A new cell phone is not going to do it. The bottom of a Floyd Scotch gets close, but it ain't going to do it. Cuban cigar, not going to do it. You can line up that white powder stuff and snort it through your nose all you want. It ain't going to do it. You can seek out pleasure all you want. It ain't going to do it. Only Jesus. Because it's only Jesus that has been to the absolute lowest cesspool that humanity can dish out. He knows the bottom. He's been there, and he can bring you out. We have to see Jesus is everything. He can't just be an accessory attached to your life. 
If he is not your life, he's nothing at all. Until the love of things, all things is displaced. Our love, our hearts can't be filled with the love of Christ. So our lives are not worldly focused, they're Christ focused. And secondly and lastly, they are faith driven. Verse 7, remember the leaders, they're your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Our life must be faith-focused. That's hard to say, faith-focused. We look to the saints, and you want to know where to start? Flip over a couple pages in Hebrews 11. The Hall of Faith. The Bible's Hall of Fame right there. And if you could summarize everything in their lives, here's a couple of things that they did that we can imitate. They put God above all else. Devotion, single-minded obedience. To try to love the Lord as he loves us. Belief that God was at work. How many of us wake up every morning and expect to see God move? I don't want to get out of bed if God's not moving. Because if he's not moving, I I don't have a chance. And they believed God would move, and they, they acted on that belief. I mean, Daniel got in there with a bunch of lions in that hole. Who wants to do that? Noah built an ark over how many years in the middle of dry dry land because it's going to rain. And they never even saw what rain was. Rain, what's rain? Noah, I don't know, but it's going to happen. Who does that? Abram left a comfortable home with his dad. And Sarah goes, where are we going? I don't know, but we're going. How many of you ladies are going to go with him? That's what I thought, none of you. But they believed God was working. And they acted. And I challenge all of us, emulate the saints. Believe God's going to work in your everyday life because that's where you will see Jesus. In the broken faces at your work, in the monotony of your job, in the aggravation of your boss, you will see Jesus work if you believe. What else can we summarize from the life of the faith of the saints? Service to others. They were generous. Generous. Because they realized, like we need to realize, what we have, we don't really own. We're just stewards of it. Because nothing originated with us. Well, I worked hard for this. Well, where'd you get the energy from? Do you actually cause your body to keep going? Who keeps our heart going? I know as a little kid, I used to worry about that. I was like, if I go to sleep, how am I going to remember for my heart to beat? The Lord keeps it going. Everything comes from him. He gives it to us to enjoy and to bless others with. So if we want to live our best life, it's about God and others. Living incarnationally. Navigating the ups and downs of the letter U. By striving 
for God's presence to be our reality. By being other-focused, not worldly-focused, and faith-driven. And in closing, the poet T.S. Eliot wrote this. Old men ought to be explorers. Here and there does not matter. We must be still and still moving into another intensity for a deeper union, a deeper communion. Into another intensity, God. Into another's intensity, humanity. And then, whether we're on the top or we're down in the valley of the shadow of death, our lives will still be flourishing because we're walking with God. We're doing what he asks us to do. And we will see his glory shine in us and through us. And one day, we'll see his face. And he will say, you did it. Come on into the house. That place, I've had your name on there for a long time. Let's sit down and enjoy my goodness. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.